northern exposure. Dr. Henry's charm offensive to get more people vaccinated in the north, with growing concerns worldwide about a new variant. Rally against anti-Asian hate. We shouldn't have hate in, in our community. The court case that sparked this protest. And BC businesses blindsided by massive tax increases. Vancouver's completely off the charts. Why Vancouver is an outlier, pushing merchants to the brink. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. We'll get to those stories in just a moment, but we begin with breaking news out of Saskatchewan, where the Cowessus First Nation says it has discovered hundreds of grave sites near a former residential site. The discovery at the former Marivelle Indian Residential School could be the most significant to date and comes after as many as 215 unmarked burial sites were confirmed at a former Kamloops residential school. More details on the latest discovery will be released tomorrow morning by members of the Cowessus First Nation. And we, of course, will have continuing coverage here on Global News and at globalnews.ca. Now to some exclusive details of a criminal probe involving the actions of two Vancouver police officers. As Catherine Urquhart reports, the allegations of assault are troubling and come as the force faces accusations of systemic racism. Global News has learned that two Vancouver police officers are under criminal investigation for an incident that occurred March 20th. It happened here, outside the jail on Cordova Street. The investigation involves an alleged assault, and according to sources, the incident was captured by numerous security cameras in the area. The alleged victim is an Indigenous man in his 50s who had been jailed for a few hours for public intoxication. When released, he had words with a VPD officer who was returning to his car. Sources say the officer kicked the man in the chest, sending him backward. His head hit a pole and he fell to the ground. The officer then drove away with his partner without providing any assistance. A woman at the bus stop across the street came to his aid and seeing that his head was bleeding, called 911 and he was taken to hospital by ambulance. Vancouver police confirm... Two VPD officers who were present for the incident on March 20th are currently on administrative duties. As for the alleged victim, someone with the same name has a criminal record for mischief, assault, assault causing bodily harm, and theft under 5000 News of the investigation comes as the Vancouver Police Board prepares to meet Thursday. The issue of systemic racism expected to be on the agenda. The West Vancouver Police Department is the outside agency conducting the criminal investigation. They've told Global News that they are still doing interviews. A separate investigation by the Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner has been suspended pending the outcome of the criminal investigation into the actions of the two Vancouver police officers. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. The Richmond Courthouse was the scene of an anti-Asian hate rally this morning. The demonstration timed to coincide with the scheduled court appearances of two people charged with mischief in relation to an alleged racist incident in March. Jordan Armstrong has the details. Hate is a virus and racism is the pandemic. A couple of the signs held by protesters outside provincial court in Richmond Wednesday morning. We shouldn't have hate in, in our community. 
The incident now in court happened in late March. The manager of this Steveston coffee shop said two customers became angry when asked to follow COVID-19 seating protocols. Video shared with Global News appears to show a man pouring a drink on the floor and a woman hurling the contents of a cup at the manager, who's asked we conceal her identity. When the lady passed by me, pulled a leftover cup to my face and said something like, you Chinese, those kind of things. The confrontation continued outside as the manager followed the couple to their car. Chinese. Astrid Maria Sukrev and Michel Jean-Jacques Bertram are facing one count each of mischief. Neither was required to appear in court Wednesday, so lawyers did on their behalf. If convicted, the maximum punishment under Canadian law is just under two years in jail and or a $5,000 fine. It is time, you know, we have to talk about uh, what is going on because you know, this is not a Canada we want. Vancouver, Richmond, Burnaby, many communities have seen a rise in anti-Asian hate in the last year and a half. Enough is enough, says this group. They hope others will stand with them when the accused are due back in court at the end of July. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Turning to COVID-19 in our province now, when a look at the latest numbers, we have 87 new cases, bringing BC's total to 147,271, with 1,119 of those cases active. 109 people are in hospital, 41 patients in the ICU, and sadly, one more person has died from complications of COVID-19. The COVID-19 vaccination picture looks pretty good across much of the province, but as we reported last night, one region is lagging far behind. Global's Imadagahi on how officials in BC's north are planning on dealing with the issue and the many challenges contributing to the problem. The reception for Dr. Bonnie Henry was warm. At a vaccine clinic in Prince George Tuesday, her trip north partly to boost the vaccination effort in a region that is lagging behind many other parts of the province. What we are seeing are some areas where people have questions, um, some areas where there may not be as equal access. To date, 77.2% of British Columbian adults have at least one dose of COVID-19 vaccine. In the north, that number in some areas appears to be lower. Has access to vaccine been an issue contributing to this lower than provincial rate of vaccination? We do think there, especially some communities that uh, with a lower immunization rate, there's a significant portion of people who are just waiting for easier access. The chief medical health officer for Northern Health admits his health authority faces significant hurdles, geography being one. He says staffing is a challenge, and he believes hesitancy is contributing to the lower vaccination coverage, even in more urban areas like Prince George. Prince George, there's still the room uh, for better access to, for people to get immunized. As well as uh, there, there are some people who, it's not just about the access issue. They're, they're worried about the vaccine. There's some doubt about the effect of you know, vaccine, which requires some engagement uh, with the conversations or trusted sources. My take on the vaccine, I look at it as if we want to open up our doors and allow um, gatherings, get your vaccines, so we can all get rid of wearing these things here. I'm fully vaccinated. Personal opinion, I just don't want it myself. Kim says it is hard to be certain when asked to pinpoint reasons why people may still be unvaccinated. 
but he says the health authority will redirect staff to set up more pop-up and drive-through clinics in the days and weeks to come. Imadagahi, Global News. As we race to get everyone vaccinated, health authorities in India are raising concerns about a mutation of the Delta variant. Known as Delta Plus, it appears to spread more easily and is more resistant to drugs. But many other experts say there is not enough data available yet to make that call. Global's Redmond Shannon reports. The so-called Delta Plus mutation was first reported by public health authorities here in England earlier this month. But the first known case was taken from a sample in India in April at the start of its brutal second wave. Since then, the virus has killed hundreds of thousands of people in India, a spread believed to be driven by the original version of the Delta variant. India's health ministry is telling state governments it has found 40 cases of Delta Plus. It is a particular mutation of the spike protein of the virus that could make it more transmissible and more resistant to a particular COVID-19 treatment. Many experts say it's too early to know if Delta Plus is a greater threat than the original Delta. Now we have to actually look to see whether or not there is a definitive change um, from an epidemiological perspective as compared to the, the current Delta strain. Um, you know, is, you know, is there actually some kind of fuel to this fire or is there just a change within uh, the, the Delta variant that really is not amounting to any kind of degree of, of behavioral uh, change within, within the virus itself? Experts say many more cases would need to be analyzed before we know whether Delta Plus affects transmissibility, disease severity, treatments or vaccine effectiveness. Fewer than 200 cases have been identified outside of India, including at least one in Canada. The World Health Organization says the mutation does not appear to be common and until evidence shows otherwise, the original version of the Delta variant will remain the greater public health risk. Redmond Shannon, Global News, London. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on this. Keith, Delta Plus obviously concerning and something to mm -hmm. watch for sure. How is the variant situation in B.C. right now? Yeah, very interesting. The Center for Disease Control releasing an update today. The Delta variant is on the rise in places like Israel, which has a high vaccination rate, parts of the United States that have low vaccination rates, and also parts of Ontario seeing a surge in Delta cases. So how are we doing in B.C.? Pretty good compared to other jurisdictions. Right now, the dominant variants of concern remain. The Alpha variant, the B117, originally detected in the U.K. with 49% of the cases so far. Uh, P1, Gamma, that's originally detected in Brazil. So it's almost a 50-50 split there. You can see they go up and down a bit. Some encouraging numbers there for the Delta variant, the B1617.2, originally detected in India at 6%. It was as high as 9% last week. So that's very encouraging. That, that remains a low number. But keep in mind that uh, other jurisdictions experience show the Delta variant takes about two months to grow to a very troubling uh, situation. So we're still not out of the woods here. Let's, let's check again on those numbers, say, a month from now, mm -hmm. because we've only been uh, having the Delta variant present in B.C. for a little more than a month right now. The percentage of people vaccinated in B.C. is in the high 70s now. What's the latest on the supply of vaccines yes. to push us up a little even higher than that? 
Yeah, as I reported last night, we're shifting to Moderna. So right now, uh, we have about 450,000 doses of Moderna ready to go. We've only got about 26,000 doses of Pfizer and about 75,000 of AstraZeneca. So unless Pfizer arrives tonight in great numbers, tomorrow and Friday, the people, anyone getting a vaccine, first or second, are more than likely to get Moderna. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you had Pfizer first, take Moderna second. It's, qu- it's healthy, it's safe, and it's advised. But again, we're switching to a Moderna-based vaccination program rather than a Pfizer one for the near future. All right. Thanks very much for that, Keith. Just ahead, the weather bomb that's about to hit B.C. Perfect conditions for a repeat of 2017 when wildfires tore across the province. And we'll show you the fires already causing problems. This is a side of the the game where I think we, we can help. The return of the twins, what the Sedins bring to the Canucks in their new role as advisors coming up later in sports. And a humpback comeback, a theory about why the whales are returning to the West Coast in such numbers later. Right now, though, B.C.'s wildfire season has taken off in a very short period of time. But this year, it's the Coastal Fire Center seeing the most concern. Aaron MacArthur is in Hope tonight with the latest on B.C.'s provincial wildfire situation and why it could get worse. Now, what are we, three days into summer officially and already a fire here near the Hope Princeton slide. And while this fire, the 11 Mile Creek blaze, is concerning, it speaks to a much larger issue and what could be a hot, busy, dangerous summer ahead. From the air, the fight has been non-stop. Helicopters bucketing the fire in steep terrain above Highway 3. Yesterday, I had never seen so much air traffic in my life. On the ground, a sense of how nasty this terrain is. The 11 Mile Creek fire sparked Sunday, likely human-caused. High winds Tuesday afternoon pushed the fire to 50 hectares. It remains listed as out of control. The coastal fire zone already bone dry. Less than a week ago, we were in a a period of low fire risk throughout most of the fire center, the coastal fire center. So within that one week, we have gone from low to moderate to high in much of the coastal fire center and southern BC. Across BC, the conditions are quickly becoming dangerous. A dry spring is being followed up by what could be a record-setting heat wave. Forestry experts at UBC say this year is potentially setting up like 2017 and 2018, the worst fire seasons on record. The southern interior of the province is in a drought condition. They have received only about 20% of normal precipitation. We superimpose on that this heat wave that we're having. We're very concerned. While the weather is set to get hot and dry, there is no guarantee we will see a record number of fires. Forests still need ignition. Experts warning the public to be extra cautious this year. People in the back country will play a major role in how this fire season plays out. Now, given the current fire conditions, there are burning bans in place, category two and category three. That's basically anything bigger than about a meter square. Individual campfires are still allowed, but for how much longer is anybody's guess? All right, thanks very much, Aaron. And senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with more on the heat and the danger. Christy. 
That's right. So it's prompted Environment Canada to issue a heat warning. Not only are we going to see uh, potentially historic temperatures with record-breaking heat, but we could see that for five days. So certainly a heat wave. And it's not only the heat during the day that's concerned. It's also the fact that we won't get much relief at night, only dropping down to potentially 20, 22 degrees at night. Here's a look at the progression that we could see along coastal regions away from the water. Tomorrow is a transition day, but starting Friday right through the weekend into Tuesday, we could see temperatures above 30 degrees, approaching 40 degrees. And certainly with the humidity, it could feel like that. So we're talking about dangerous heat. And then that heat will continue in through the interior regions Tuesday and potentially into Wednesday as well. When I come back, Chris, we're going to compare these to the all-time records that are in place right now across the province. And we'll also show you why this is all occurring. Before we rewrite the record book. All right. Sounds good. Thanks very much, Christy. Mm -hmm. Up next, the tax revolt by BC businesses. You can't just keep dipping into the property taxpayer. The one-two punch that makes pandemic recovery nearly impossible. And a warning to keep children away from open windows after a very close call. As the temperatures continue to soar, Burnaby RCMP are reminding parents to keep kids away from open windows after a toddler had a very close call. Police were called Sunday to Arcola Street near Sperling Avenue, where a 14-month-old boy tumbled from a second-story window. It's believed he climbed onto furniture before getting to the window, which didn't have a screen and was open because of the heat. The toddler was taken to hospital, but was amazingly not seriously injured. Fraser Health is also reminding people of ways to make windows more secure, such as moving household items away from them and installing window guards or safety locks. There is a growing revolt across BC over increases in commercial taxes. A perfect storm of rising school taxes, property taxes, and soaring land values has many businesses reeling just as they're trying to recover from the pandemic. As Ted Chernecki reports, business is saying it's time for tax reform and accountability from city governments. At last count, there were 25 for lease signs up and down the once vibrant West 4th Avenue in Vancouver. Now, small business is getting hit with property tax increases of 25 to 55 percent. There is going to be a major property tax revolt, particularly from the commercial taxpayer. Even homeowners in Vancouver face a 5% increase this year on top of last year's 7%. Compare that to these other cities where the increases are all between 1% and 3%. And compared to other big cities, Vancouver is way out of step. Edmonton, Calgary, Montreal, Toronto, they're all holding at zero. No increase this year. In BC, about 7% of all properties are zoned commercial. Yet they carry almost half the total tax burden. Now they're being asked to pay more. I am so shocked that there was no communication about the extent of these property tax increases. Here's a glaring example of two heavy industrial commercial properties. Similar size, similar use, both on the Fraser River, Surrey on the left, Langley on the right. The property that was on the west side of the boundary in Surrey, uh, their annual property tax bill this year is $833,000. The same property size to the east in the township of Langley um, is only $287,000. They're saying uh, if their property tax increases next year, then they're looking at moving out of Surrey. The fundamental problem we have is the budget's too big. 
you're funding too much. You're averaging 6.5% increase per year, where other jurisdictions are less than half that. Small businesses calling for a complete overhaul of the tax system. They want accountability. There was a time in B.C. when business owners had a vote in municipal elections. That was scrapped by the NDP Harcourt government in 1993. Ted Chernecki, Global News. B.C. is looking to one of Europe's top economists to help steer its strategy to get the province through the post-pandemic era. Richard Zussman has more on the high-profile hire and the biggest roadblock to recovery the tourism industry is still facing. Visitors to Victoria's Inner Harbour now being greeted by a slightly new message. Welcome back to Victoria. It, there are parts of the island that are quite busy, but there will be parts of the island that still are going to be slow to see those bookings. With the economy slowly getting back on track, the B.C. government announcing Wednesday plans to create a long-term economic vision for a post-pandemic era. With better days around the corner, we are turning our minds and our hearts to the kind of stronger B.C. that we want to see for ourselves and for future generations. In order to help with BC's economic recovery, the province is looking outside of Canada for help, tasking one of Europe's top economists to help with the plan. You can't learn how to ride a bike without falling down, really being willing actually to experiment and work through new ideas. Mariana Mazzucato is from the Institute for Innovation at the University College London. She has also served as an economic advisor to the Vatican. The work she is expected to do, along with public consultation here in B.C., is being described as a roadmap for the province's economic prosperity. Working with British Columbia and setting really concrete targets that bring together lots of different sectors. But according to economists, one sector stands out, at least in the short term, and that's tourism and hospitality. But in terms of the sort of a full recovery, it, we could literally be sitting into late 2022. That's why the sector is once again calling on Ottawa to lay out a plan for welcoming back international visitors. The uncertainty of borders is, is one of the, it's probably the biggest challenge the industry is facing for this year, but even into the future. The industry clear only with that plan, the welcome back can turn into an economic bounce back. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Up next, a new Canadian study of vaccination protection. You get a, a, one message one day and then it's reversed the next day. Ah, but even more emerging science on single doses shows not all vaccines are created equal. And parents make an emotional appeal in court at the sentencing hearing for notorious killer Gabriel Klein. Traffic is nice and steady in both directions here tonight at the Alex Fraser Bridge, which is some minor leftover volume on the Richmond side along the east-west connector between Knight and the S-curve. Today's Lotto 649 jackpot is an estimated $5 million plus an additional guaranteed $1 million prize. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Emotional victim impact statements today from the devastated family of an Abbotsford teen who was stabbed to death in her high school. People in the gallery were apparently in tears as Letitia Reimer's parents recalled that tragic day and the impact of losing their child. This is the first day of sentencing hearing for convicted killer Gabriel Klein. Romina Dea reports. 
13-year-old Letitia Reimer fought hard, struggling to kick Gabriel Klein as he stabbed her with a hunting knife 14 times inside her school. A strong-willed, kind-hearted soul who adored the outdoors, said her heartbroken father, who told the court he still struggles with anger and grief. The accused will face jail time, but I feel that justice has failed. Ulrich Reimer's powerful victim impact statement, one of 46 entered as evidence. With conviction, Letitia's mother told the accused, I hope for this, that you never have another moment of peace again in your life. Reimer's brave friend, E.I., who cannot be identified due to a publication ban, was stabbed four times. She did not make a statement. Klein was convicted of second-degree murder in Reimer's death and aggravated assault for EI. Klein is facing a life sentence, but the judge must now decide when the accused will be eligible for parole. The range, 10 to 25 years. Crown is asking for 18 years. Klein is high risk to reoffend violently, said Crown. For the protection and safety of the public, he should stay in prison for a significant time, Rob McGowan told the court. During the trial, Klein said he saw monsters, not girls, in the school November 1st, 2016, and that voices in his head told him to kill. The accused, now 25 or 26, was found fit to stand trial. Crown told the court schizophrenia and antisocial personality disorder should not be considered mitigating factors at sentencing. Defense is making the case for 12 years before parole eligibility. Martin Peters says Klein is Métis. His great-grandmother was a residential school survivor. He came from a broken home, an alcoholic mother. He never knew his birth father. The sentencing hearing continues on Friday. Romina Day at Global News. In health matters tonight, a new Canadian study finds COVID-19 protection from first doses varies significantly between vaccine brands. As Global's Jamie Maraca reports, the findings add urgency to Canada's efforts to get second doses into as many arms as possible. Since receiving a first dose of the AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine, this Toronto couple says the experience has been a roller coaster ride. The information was very confusing and it kept changing, uh, very hard to navigate. You get a, a, one message one day and then it's reversed the next day. Now a new Canadian study is adding another layer to that frustration, revealing after a single dose, certain vaccines appear to offer greater protection than others. Over time, we see that in the AstraZeneca vaccines, um, they are not producing as much antibodies. Looking at 6,000 participants, Philip Awadala and his team at CanPath found short-term antibody levels are more than one and a half times greater with a single shot of an mRNA vaccine, such as Pfizer or Moderna, than those produced by a viral vector vaccine, AstraZeneca. In fact, for those vaccinated with one dose of AstraZeneca, 30% had antibody levels no higher than someone who is unvaccinated. In people who had a shot of Pfizer or Moderna, that number was just 10%. What's been recognized is that the more neutralizing antibodies that somebody has, the better protection that they have against this virus. It's why Awadala says he hopes his study drives home the importance of getting a double dose. We have a number of individuals in our study who have both doses and the, sign the antibody signatures are very strong. 
As the country ramps up its second shot rollout, Canada's National Advisory Committee on Immunization, or NACI, updated its recommendations. and now says mixing a viral vector vaccine and an mRNA vaccine works to get an even better immune response. Back at the pop-up clinic for Susan Smith and her husband Keith, the recommendation has opened the door to more options. The second one is the Moderna, um, which is supposed to be better against the um, variants. Glad to be fully vaccinated and looking forward to the protection. Jamie Marocker, Global News, Toronto. We've heard some stories about the difficult recovery for some people who came down with COVID-19, but for a Toronto man who had been given long odds to even survive, his recovery was not only hailed a success, but a miracle. Jamie Vargas collapsed outside his home in March. The 53-year-old was intubated at hospital and spent the next 50 days in a coma. During that time, Jamie wasn't allowed any visitors. His wife, Yolanda, says it was the longest they'd been apart in 35 years. And when doctors told her to say goodbye, she outright refused. They told me yes, I said no. They're like, I'm of course this, the wife who... I'm in, I'm, I believe in positive thinking. So I'm like, it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen. Refuse to accept that it's a possibility that this could happen. <laughs> It was hard. Like the day she told me what when when I was better, and she told me what what was said and what was going on. Like it was hard. It took time, but Jamie is getting stronger every day. And when he was discharged, doctors told him he was the sickest sickest person that they'd ever seen who ultimately recovered. More evidence the opioid crisis has worsened during the pandemic, according to new modeling data from the Public Health Agency of Canada. The latest data confirms 2020 was the worst year for overdoses and deaths in Canada since the Public Health Agency started to monitor the crisis in 2016. More than 6,000 Canadians died last year due to opioid-related overdoses. On average, that's 17 deaths across the country a day. And current projections suggest the country is trending towards between 1,600 and 2,000 Canadians losing their lives every three months in 2021. A number of factors have likely contributed to a worsening of the crisis, including the increasingly toxic drug supply and isolation for many. Coming up next, a passion for nursing that would not be denied. We didn't have anywhere to stay. It was the middle of winter. I had no idea what to do. When housing insecurity put her and her family on the street, how she stayed focused to achieve her dream. And a bonanza for whale watchers. Why the return of humpbacks is a very good sign. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Conservation efforts appear to be really paying off on BC's wild west coast. Kylie Stanton has the details of the resurgence of a species that was close to non-existent just 25 years ago. They're everywhere. Incredible. It's being called the humpback comeback. Hundreds of whales are returning to the Salish Sea for yet another year. They were beautiful. We got some pretty good pictures. The matriarch, known as Big Mama, has been spotted alongside three of her calves in close proximity, a rare event that has the whale-watching industry buzzing. 
you know, when I first started, that seeing a humpback was a was a huge deal. In 2003 till now, it's been a steady increase in the in the individuals. The first documented sighting was back in 1997. Since then, the species has been migrating each summer to feed in the nutrient-rich waters off BC's coast, slowly rebuilding the population. Now, in 2021, we have more than 500 catalogued um, animals that we've been able to photograph and document in this population. So it's a great recovery story. The reason behind it is simple. In the 1960s and 70s, the commercial hunting of humpbacks ended. Once that threat passed, they were able to recover. So it just goes to show you that once you do actually protect that species, uh, you know, they can rebound. But experts warn now is not the time to let our guard down. In fact, the whales need more protection than ever. They're susceptible to entanglement in fishing lines and other ocean debris. And because they're so large, unpredictable and can suddenly surface, boaters need to keep their distance. Legally, it is 100 metres. But 200 meters can, keeps things much simpler as well. The regulations are all outlined here on the Marine Education Research Society's website. But the easiest rule to remember, see a blow, go slow. Truly so important to realize there are still many ways to negatively impact giants and the ecosystems they represent. It's their best chance at a rare second chance. There's got to be close to 20 humpbacks. That will hopefully have them returning to these waters for many years to come. Kylie Stanton, Global News. What an amazing time to be out on the water, although a lot of people, as we bring Christy in for a look at our weather forecast, would rather be in the water to cool off. And that's going to increase over the next Absolutely. few days too, right? That's right. So we really are talking about dangerous heat and we want everyone to be aware and check on the elderly, check on um, uh, animals, check on uh, certainly look after little ones in this type of heat because it's definitely dangerous. We're talking about five days, Friday through Tuesday, where we could see record breaking heat. Here's a look at the all time records right now. A few of them, we're still telling us several more of them, but uh, the all time record 44.4 degrees in Lytton Lillouette in sorry, 1941, Kamloops at that same time. 41.7 and we could break those records. We're talking about Monday into Tuesday for these areas. Kelowna 41 in Abbotsford and Vancouver. Again, we could break these all time records uh, potentially on Sunday or Monday for coastal regions. That's when we'll see the big heat. So definitely incredible heat. And the reason for it is this big upper level ridge diverting all the milder air north of our area. The heat really filling and we've got high pressure. So that's going to trap in the heat, creating that heat dome. And with no cl uh, clear skies and a lot of solar radiation, it just continues to warm up. Quick uh, note, if you were to have heat stroke, you could have a headache, nausea or vomiting. Your skin actually would be dry, no longer sweating and very hot to the touch. Your breathing might be rapid and your heart rate might be rapid. You may even lose, lose constant consciousness. So make sure if you were to ever see someone like that or if you yourself are exhibiting those symptoms, call 911. This is a serious illness. Now, tomorrow is our transition day. We'll see more cloud cover. It will still be hot, but not the extreme heat. Again, it's Friday through Tuesday that we're going to see that extreme extreme heat and across all of BC, right up and down the north from north to south. So there's your seven day forecast. Oh, and UV index, by the way, will be high. So make sure you're wearing your sunscreen and drinking your water. The heat is on. That's for sure. Thank you to so much to Yashan for that great shot. Uh, yes, you can definitely tell from that image there.
Incredible. All right, thanks very much for that, Christy. Let's bring Squire in now to talk about these two new hires for the Canucks. <laughs> yes, I can't tell them apart. Actually, I can now. Their beards are a bit different. The uh, Sedins say they're joining the Canucks front office to help the team win. We're not looking for, for fame again. That's let's be clear with that. From legendary players to hopefully legendary advisors. Also coming up, what an accomplishment for this nursing grad and her family overcoming extreme challenges most students don't have to face. Squires back with sports and uh, some new additions to the Canucks head office. You could say new, sure, why not? Uh, the Sedin's first day on the job as advisors to Jim Benning, the Aquilinis, and anyone else who needs advising with the Canucks included a press conference where they pointed out they are front office rookies and they want to stay in the background, but they will have things to say and their opinion will be listened to. From the outside looking in, bringing Daniel and Henrik Sedin back as special advisors to the general manager can easily be viewed as a token hire by the Canucks. Vancouver coming off one of its worst seasons in years. The fan base has never been more disenchanted with ownership and team management. So who better to help turn things around than two of the greatest Canucks ever? Except that thinking isn't fair to Daniel and Henrik and what they mean to this franchise. Well, there's uh, number number one and our, our, our only answer is that we care about this team that's uh uh we've said after we, we were done playing that we this is a side of the the game where i think we we can help and and we've taken our time and uh we we care a lot about this team so to be able to come back and, and help uh, is uh is a great feeling now we have seen this move from the canucks before except unlike trevor linden who was front and center when he jumped in with both feet as team president the Sedins will be dipping their toes into front office life. You won't see them on the ice. They haven't touched their skates since they retired, but they will be sharing their opinions. For guys who've always been in sync, it'll be interesting to see if they'll disagree on managerial matters. I think uh, <coughs> teammates playing with us, and especially linemates, I think they've seen, they've seen us uh, go back and forth quite a bit on the bench. Uh, I think we demand a lot from each other, and uh, sometimes you're going to have disagreements, but... Uh, for the most part, you have a discussion and then you then you move on. So, uh, like Henrik said, I think you need you need that discussion to happen. And then then you you'll get the best uh, you'll get the best results. Now, one of the Sedin's jobs will be to travel down the freeway to Abbotsford to watch the Canucks minor league prospects next season. Speaking of Abby, the team still needs a nickname, still needs some employees, but the management of Ryan Johnson and the coaching staff led by Trent Cole who were in Utica, will be coming to Abbotsford. Yeah, we're, um, we're going to have an announcement on that here coming up here, but we're, Ryan's going to be the general manager in Abbotsford, and uh, we're going to bring up our coaching staff in Utica. will be joining us in, in Abbotsford too. One of the reasons Tampa Bay is so great is they have one of the best goalies, Andre Vasileski. They also have a lot of guys who can score, such as Braden Point, who just keeps on scoring in the playoffs, 
It's now 2-1 late in the second period for Tampa. If they win, they go to the final again. The uh, Vancouver Whitecaps are about 45 minutes away from their uh, game with the LA Galaxy. The biggest lineup change for the Whitecaps. Whitecaps make that as strikers Brian White and Lucas Cavallini will both be starting up front instead of Cavallini starting as a, on the bench as he did in the last game against Salt Lake where, I should mention, Brian White scored his first ever goal for Vancouver. All right, have to show you this today from Euro. This is one of the most bizarre own goals you'll ever see. Spain does not need help, but Slovakian keeper Martin Dubravka put this in his own net after it hit the crossbar. Oh and he feels shame. Spain moves on to the round of 16. Speaking of the round of 16, here's how they match up. Uh, Italy, Austria, Wales, Denmark, Czech Republic, Netherlands, Belgium against Portugal, and then uh, early next week, Spain, Croatia, uh, France, Switzerland, Germany against England, and Sweden against Ukraine. Well, Hazleton is not a big place, but it did give us a big-time Olympian in wrestler Carol Wynn, who of course won Olympic gold and bronze medals in her career. And now it's on the verge of having another Canadian Olympian, this time in steeplechase, as Regan Yee is close to qualifying for this summer's games. Regan Yee is about one second from Tokyo. Actually, it's 1.07 seconds. That's one of the ways to qualify for the Olympics. Run the 3,000 meter steeplechase in nine minutes and 30 seconds. And in her last meet, she ran 9.31.07, which was a personal best. What was your best before? 9.35. So you knocked off almost four seconds. Yeah, so there, I'm sure there's one more second in there, but we'll have to find out. She'll find out at either this week's Olympic trials or next week's Montreal Classic meet. And if she does go to Tokyo, her biggest fans will be from her hometown of Hazleton where she developed her love of running and racing. Yeah, I love my hometown. It's, I think it helps that it's such a stunningly beautiful area as well. When you're coming from a small town, you know everybody, um, so, and everyone feels a part of it as well because they all supported you. And running runs in the Yee family. Her mother was a good athlete when she was young, and her father introduced her to running. When I was younger, I, my dad would take me out for like a two-kilometer run, and it was just fun being out there. I, I, I liked pushing myself. And pushing herself even more could give Regan a ticket to Tokyo. Well, I only need to take off 1.07 seconds. So I think if, if I can focus in the middle of the race and not let the pace lag, I, I think it's in there. And if enthusiasm counts for anything, I like her chances. In search of a second. Well, now she's got the whole province cheering for her. So That's true. Good luck. Thanks very much, Squire. Coming up next, a nursing student with lots of reasons to celebrate after her troubled path to graduation. The stress of making it to graduation, whether it's high school, college or university, can be a huge burden. And COVID certainly has added some complications. But few have been challenged like the woman you're about to meet, a nursing grad who defied great odds to achieve her goal. Global's Catherine Ward has the story. A proud mom and a beaming graduate. When she's, uh, she's passed, I, I can't even, like, I can believe it. Homera Ahmed's journey to become a nurse has not been easy. So throughout my childhood, um, I've, I was a victim of domestic abuse. 
But Homera, her mom, and three younger sisters had nowhere to go. It was in the middle of the school year. We didn't have anywhere to stay. It was the middle of winter. And I had no idea what to do. For a few days, Homera slept in the library, which was open 24-7 because of exams. Some emergency grants paid for a short stay in a hotel, but that money quickly ran out. So the family turned to the shelter system, even though they were told there was no room. We just grabbed all our luggages and we sat outside the shelter and we said, we're not leaving. We're not leaving this place. We need help. So they had to put us into the kitchen. So we all slept in the kitchen, and that, that night I actually went to clinical at 5 a.m. Clinical, referring to the hands-on experience nursing students need to complete in order to pass. And then COVID hit, making everything more difficult. Everyone was using the same internet, so Zoom would cut in and out all the time. My grades suffered because of attendance. There was a lot of invasion of privacy with that too. I didn't want anyone to know I was living in a shelter. Plus, time at the shelter was running out. Only one day they said, now you have to move into market rent. My mom didn't have a job. I had to look for, look for some jobs just to make up for the rent. It all became so much, Homera ended up in hospital because of the stress. Still, she persevered. Eventually, the family found housing. Plus, Homera got her degree and a job. Fueled by the determination to create a better life. For her family. My motivation was my sisters, looking at them, knowing that, okay, anything I'm going through, as if they don't have to go through that, then I'll take it on. Catherine Ward, Global News. Another healthcare hero in the mix. Congratulations. What a great story. Uh, and staying cool out there, uh, Christy, what, what's your secret? You're obviously in the shade. <laughs> Yes, and that is the secret. Yeah, so stay hydrated, stay in the shade, avoid activity actually in the afternoon if you need to get outside. Early in the morning or later in the evening is a good idea. And uh, someone mentioned to me, well, if you don't have a pool to get into, just take a cold bath to help you cool down. Excellent advice. All right, thanks very much, you guys. Have a great night. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.